Hello from Ellensburg, Washington, USA. This is the Nick Zetner Geology Podcast, Episode 69, Chalice Magmas. Thank you for listening. No, I mean it. Thanks for listening. Uh, especially this summer, when I'm kind of on my own schedule, kind of doing things when I feel like doing things, and not doing things when I don't feel like doing things. It's nice to have an audience. Uh, I think I'm honest enough about that. Uh, I like having an audience. And most of my time is spent uh, by myself. Uh, Feeling productive, learning what I can, organizing things, and that's been the case uh, in the last few days. It's extremely hot here in eastern Washington. In fact, the entire Pacific Northwest, over 100 degrees Fahrenheit every afternoon. Uh, boy, it's it's intense. Uh, so I'm hanging out down here in the basement, more or less, with Bijou the cat, and uh, there's all sorts of things to organize and uh, sort through uh, when I don't normally have the time to do that uh, during a busy school year. So today, uh, we finish uh, thinking back to, I guess, earlier this month, now that I think about it. It's Monday, June 28th. Uh, here in Ellensburg, and I think it's supposed to be over 110 degrees Fahrenheit this afternoon. So, you know, out doing my thing in the morning and then uh, come in and kind of hide from the heat. And Liz is up paddleboarding this morning, but she'll be back to take a nap this afternoon before she goes to yoga. Oh my God, then what is this, some sort of personal journal? You don't need that. Uh, So this is the last of the recollections to the Geology 351 class that was taught this past spring quarter, which ended, I don't know, uh, first week in June, something like that, and here we are at the end of June. And there were four separate Chalice Magma lectures. It was kind of the thrilling conclusion to Geology 351, said in kind of a mocking tone, but I don't know, I I think it did... It was kind of a nice way to, to wrap up. We were building and building and building throughout the Geology 351 class um, and eventually kind of landed on these interesting igneous rocks, uh, which we realized in class, and I will continue to think about, is not just an Eastern Washington story, but it's a it's an American West story. It's not even the Pacific Northwest, these chalice magmas, these magmas that are Eocene in age. So I wasn't sure what my plan was when I got into the chalice magmas with the students. It ended up being a four-hour lecture thing, and I think I want to boil all those four lectures down to a a 30-minute program. So no time to waste. Let's get into it. Um, I want to do some data first and then transition to the latest uh, interpretive thoughts, plate tectonic interpretations for these things called the chalice magmas. And I realized, just saying this out loud right now, that I, I probably have. In fact, I'm almost sure I've had some chalice magma episodes uh, a year ago, more, I don't know. Uh, as I shared with the live audience, remember these are live streamed, and you can go on my YouTube channel and watch them all if you like. 
um, Nick Zentner YouTube channel, uh, or you can go to nickzentner.com and click on 351 in the upper right-hand corner. You can get to all the scientific papers I'm talking about, etc. But I shared with the, with the home audience and also with the students in the room that uh, before this whole pandemic thing began in March of 2020, uh, I was really deeply into the chalice magmas. And my motivation was a geologist named Jeff Tepper, who will be talked about again today. Uh, Jeff uh, is, I think, just turned 60, something like that, and has just recently retired from University of Puget Sound, like last month. And uh, he will continue uh, doing some research and being affiliated with UPS Geology, but he's he's done as a full-time professor there. And uh, Jeff was featured then uh, with these four Chalice Magma episodes, and uh, it culminated with Jeff himself uh, being in the live chat with the home audience people for the Chalice Magma data sessions, and then the two Chalice Magma interpretive sessions, uh, I featured uh, Jeff in the field. He, he joined us on our last field trip of the quarter. And uh, so if you just want nothing more than to, to, to see this guy operate in the field and, and interact with my students as well as a few of his students up on Birch Mountain north of Wenatchee, um, again, that, that, that all waits for you. But I'm assuming if you're an audio person here, these are basically radio episodes and you don't have time to watch things on, uh, on uh, YouTube. Oh my God, the air conditioner in our house... Just shut off. Hmm. <laughs> I think that's normal, but <laughs> that dang thing's been working so hard with these temperatures. Uh, hopefully it's taking a break. Okay. I'm sure it'll be fine. Uh, okay, let's, let's do it. Um, there are igneous rocks between 60 and 40 million years old uh, in eastern Washington. I have not spent any time thinking seriously about them before. And I went to a Jeff Tepper poster session at the GSA meeting in Portland in 2019, and he presented his work on these chalice magmas. And he had a couple of maps that really intrigued me. They sucked me in. And they were many uh, selected spots uh, up in northeastern Washington, up in northern Washington, in the uh, Okanagan area, a few selected spots in the North Cascades. Uh, and what really got me interested is, of course, uh, some things pretty local to Ellensburg. Uh, he was talking about the Tianaway basalt, the Tianaway formation, which it turns out is rhyolite and basalt. If you're a longtime listener here, you know that. Saddle Mountain, uh, near Wenatchee. Castle Rock, near Wenatchee. The Silver Pass Volcanics, in the Blewett Pass area, and over by Lake Cleellum. So, of course, I'm interested. I mean, come on now. These are, these are places and concepts that are very close to my backyard, and yet here's this guy from UPS uh, presenting a regional story. And that poster session got me going, and then I did some reading, and 
um, eventually shared on the podcast. Again, uh, right, right as the pandemic was beginning, I had Jenda Johnson, an animator who's well-known among geologists here in the Pacific Northwest. She was working on a kind of a gift animation for me, and that all kind of ground to a halt when we went into the pandemic and there were some health issues in her family. And so I'm, I'm kind of revisiting but also diving much deeper into this Chalice Magma story with Jeff Tepper's help, with my students uh, coming up after class uh, and uh, giving me some ideas or asking some questions that then wanted me to um, kind of uh, follow up on. And so it's it felt like a good way to end the class and uh, of course, it's not really an end. We're just going to continue with this sort of thing. Okay, so can I describe the, what we know data-wise from these magmas, and, and how do we know they're not part of the Cascade story or something else? Okay, well, let's get right to it. I said that last time, four minutes ago. Now I'm serious. Jeff's poster emphasize the difference between arc magmas and chalice magmas. Arc magmas and chalice magmas. Okay, what's the difference? A volcanic arc is a line of composite cone volcanoes, very famous locations around the world, the Andes, the Cascades, etc. And we know that those volcanic arcs, those arc magmas, are a direct result of subduction of an oceanic plate, generating melt, and having those magmas rise through the continent. And, you know, typically we're, what, 150 miles inland from an oceanic trench. Arc magmas. Okay, great. In Jeff's poster, he had two arc magmas. He had the Cascade arc magmas, which he starts about 44 million years ago. So the Cascade volcanoes, which we still have today, that's a line of of, of arc magmas uh, that have been doing their thing for the last 44 million years, from 44 million years ago until this morning, generating magmas from a subduction zone. If we go back further in time, talking just about the Pacific Northwest now, right? If we go back further in time, there's another set of arc magmas that are far older than 44. In other words, far older than the Cascades. And I can't remember if he came up with the phrase or I did, but uh, I'm going to call out the Idaho arcs, the Idaho arc magmas, which are older than 52. So how are we doing? Arc magmas, in other words, subduction-related magmas, a line of stratovolcanoes, big plutons, big uh, hot blobs of magma uh, being generated above the subduction zone. Older than 52 million years ago, we had a volcanic arc in what is today Idaho. Younger than 44 million years ago, we have the volcanic arc called the Cascades, which we still have today. Not talking about the chalice magmas yet. I'm talking about arc magmas. Cascade Arc, Idaho Arc. So what are the chalice magmas? Well, the first message is they're not arc magmas. And this is confusing because if you're a fan of geology, 
and you've done your own reading and your own learning, or you took a geology class 30 years ago, maybe somebody was talking about the chalice arc. Well, Jeff is not a fan of that phrase, and I've kind of taken that and run with it. The chalice magmas, the topic today in this podcast episode, is not a subduction story. We're going to make magmas that have nothing to do with subduction, nothing to do with stratovolcanoes, nothing to do with a line of well-behaved volcanic arc rocks. The chalice magmas are not arc magmas. Furthermore, the chalice magmas are sandwiched in time between the older Idaho arc and the younger Cascade arc. I don't know, do you need to jot this down? A little little sketch for yourself? Just a little uh, um, stratigraphic column, I guess? Down low, uh, older than 52. In other words, 52 and then an arrow going down to the bottom of your piece of paper. Those are the Idaho arcs, magmas, excuse me. Uh, Upper third of your piece of paper, 44, and then an arrow going up. Those are the Cascade arcs. Up is the the hop of the pages today. But right there in the middle third of your piece of paper are the chalice magmas between 52 and 44. There I said it. The rest of today, we're going to be confined between 52 and 44 million years ago, the time of these chalice magmas. Okay, hopefully I've sucked you in now. How are you going to make magmas if you don't have subduction? Is this a hotspot story? We don't think it is either. Now, I promised some data, so let's try it. Now that I, you know, it took me a while to find this kind of narrative. I mean, Jeff had it laid out in his poster, and, and if you're like, well, I, want, I need to read a paper on this chalice magmas, I'm, I'm, I'm already kind of like not sure that I understand there is no scientific paper. Oh, air, air conditioning kicked back on. You don't have to worry about me anymore, okay? We're good. Jeff has been supervising undergraduate students. University of Puget Sound is a liberal arts university. Small, um, probably expensive, I don't know. Uh, small classes, lots of one-on-one with college professors. And so he's got high-level students. And so he's mentored these very motivated, sharp undergraduate students over the last 20 years, and he's been kind of sticking with the chalice magmas as his research interest. And so with each student uh, doing some research, writing up a report, getting some new high-precision dates, some high-precision chemistries, geochemistries of the, of the igneous rocks, uh, he's been presenting these student posters, student talks, and uh, his focus has been on mentoring students. And so Jeff Tepper does not have this grand paper on the Chalice Magmas yet. Now, one of his hopes is that since he's now retired, he has a little bit more time to write a big paper or two to kind of get everybody up to speed. So I'm kind of uh, sharing with you stuff that really isn't in print all in one place, although, again, he's got these posters and other ways to present his information. So I needed a Zoom meeting with Jeff, which is also on my YouTube channel, if you just want to see the two of us talk for 20 minutes. 
he was helping me get ready for these lectures. And I basically, once I had this narrative that the chalice magmas are not subduction and they are sandwiched in age between the older Idaho story and the younger Cascade story, I had some, you know, pretty ricky questions about geochemistry. How do you know a magma is not related to subduction or not? How do you, how can you eliminate a hotspot source by looking at the geochemistry? Okay. Well, the rock types themselves aren't going to help. And on one of the chalkboards uh, during the Chalice Magma lectures, uh, I showed that there was diverse rock types in hand sample uh, with arc magmas and also chalice magmas. Diverse. You can have basalts, you can have andesites, you can have dacites, you can have rhyolites. B-A-D-R. Apparently that's a, uh, what is it, acronym? It doesn't stand for anything, though, except basalt, andesite, diorite, oh, shit. Basalt, andesite, dacite, rhyolite, B-A-D-R. So Jeff says, that's not going to help. There's, there's all four of those, you know, there's a wide spectrum of silica contents, etc., volcanic rock-wise, between arc magmas and chalice magmas. Not going to help. But there is something called wet magma versus dry magma. And, um, boy, do I remember some of the details from that lecture? I guess I don't. Um, oh boy. I'll try. Uh, when you have an ocean plate subducting, so we're talking about arc magmas for a second, those are the wet magmas. And in general, as you subduct the oceanic plate and you subduct the ocean plate deeper and deeper, you the pressures are high enough to drive some of the water, truly ocean water, um, out of that subducting ocean plate and into the base of the crust, the continental crust. Uh, but the role of the water has a signature in the igneous rocks. Don't ask me for details. I don't remember. Maybe I didn't even get to it. But the fact that these chalice magmas have no evidence of lots of water being present gives us the idea that they are not subduction related. So this is not a very satisfying way to start because I don't remember or maybe you don't even know the difference in how to read water presence uh, in the development of a magma body. Let's move on. This is uncomfortable. Believe it or not, from Jeff's help, I was talking about ratios of boron to beryllium in class. No big deal. And Jeff's message is, and this is again some geochemistry that can help us, don't ask for more than this please. If you have a magma that's generated by a subduction zone, you have a high ratio of boron to beryllium. You grind up the rock, you analyze trace, are they trace elements? I don't even know. Isotopic signatures, trace elements, I'm probably misusing even that phrase, but the point is you've got more boron than normal in an arc magma generated by subduction, 
as opposed to these chalice magmas, these dry magmas that are lower in levels of boron to beryllium. And, you know, I pressed and he had more. He had more. He had more of these isotopic ratios. Don't have it for you. Let's keep going with one more distinctive piece of evidence to suggest arc versus chalice. Because you're like, I don't, okay, you're telling me chalice magmas are not from subduction? I guess, but like, are you going to tell us how you make a chalice magma? Yeah, I am. I'm going to share Jeff's latest ideas with this, but I'm just trying to be uh, disciplined with the data first. When you plot these arc magmas that are wet magmas that have high levels of boron, see? You plot them in the map of the Pacific Northwest and you have a line of them. Those are the Cascades. You have another line of them. Those are the Idaho Arc volcanoes, older than 52. But now here's where I really think you might have an interest, if you haven't already. There is no line on a map where you find these dry, high-boron chalice magmas not related to subduction. You got all the rock types, basalts, andesites, dacites, rhyolites, B-A-D-R. But they are scattered. The locations, if you just start circling areas on your Pacific Northwest map, you're going to find these chalice magmas scattered with no pattern throughout Washington up into British Columbia, over into Idaho. Yeah, the same Idaho that has the arc. There's between 52 and 44, remember? The chalice magmas between 52 and 44 million years ago. You've got these dry, high boron magmas overprinted in places where we have Idaho arc rocks. Into Montana, chalice magmas. Wyoming, chalice magmas. The Dakotas, back to the, as far east as the Black Hills, chalice magmas. As Basil Tikoff told me by email two years ago when I was kind of fishing for detail uh, from him, he knows the Rockies quite well, he said everything just goes absolutely berserk during this chalice chapter. And one way to show this berserk breakout of these chalice magmas is by showing all these scattered blobs of chalice material. And it's impossible to come up with a subduction story just from the geographic distribution of these guys. Do you want details? Where can I go find some chalice magmas? Well, you can go to Chalice, Idaho. <laughs> There is a town called Chalice, Idaho. There are some magmas there. And so if you're curious why it's called the Chalice, I, I, I don't know. It's like just I don't have the history of who named it that first and how it got swept into this general story. But the, these Chalice magmas are more than in Chalice, Idaho. Absarica Volcanics in northwestern Wyoming. Bunch of locations in Montana. The central Montana alkali province. I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, Devil's Tower. Have you heard of it? In northeastern Wyoming. Chalice magmas. 52 to 44. Something north of the Black Hills. Can't remember the name. The Kamloops magmas up in B.C. And in Washington, some of the granite 
it's not just volcanic rock, right? There's plutonic material, too. Some of the granite uh, that holds up Grand Coulee Dam, chalice magmas. Some volcanics up in the Republic area, up in northeastern Washington. I don't have this whole list of scattered locations in front of me, but it's, it's, it's rather impressive, including the Tianaway, including the Silver Pass. Even in western Washington, Mount Persis, Mount Pilchuck, over by the Kitsap Peninsula. So Jeff uh, has been kind of carefully kind of inventorying, terrible. Jeff has been going around collecting samples with his students of these chalice magmas, mostly in Washington, a little bit in Idaho, I guess. Even down into Oregon, the Clarno's part of this. And he's been building this data set most of which I don't understand. But it's not a subduction story. Okay, you've been patient. Let's do it. What tectonic model does Jeff, Jeff Tepper and others, do Jeff Tepper and others, now have for these chalice magmas? And why would we care about this? Well, first of all, it's a significant chapter. 52 to 44 million years ago. This is before the Cascades. This is essentially after Celestia is being accreted. Remember Celestia? Of course you do. You're so sick of that. Well, here we are again. The chalice magmas are a direct result of the accretion of Celestia. Why not? One of the hallmarks of Jeff Tepper's new plate tectonic model, it's not just him, by the way, so these ideas have been thrown around for a while, but uh, I'm just saying Jeff Tepper because he's the latest to kind of try to um, uh, enunciate uh, or speak clearly about what, what this chapter might look like. His idea is, when we accrete this large igneous province called Celestia, half of which is up in Alaska now, is the Akatat terrain. You've heard it a million times. The accretion of Celestia is going to choke the subduction zone. Okay, we got to slow down because we got we got an advanced thought here. There was a trench. There was a subduction plate that fed the Idaho volcanic arc, now known as Idaho. But by adding this incredible acreage, known as Celestia, we're not only going to try to cram this thing into the subduction zone, we're going to ultimately shut off the subduction zone and begin a new one further to the west. Why? Because we just added this incredible oceanic plateau known as Celestia. So here's where animations are really needed. I don't know. I might come back to Jenda now at some point. Say, hey, remember that gift you wanted? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. But we tried all sorts of things in the class, all sorts of chalkboard sketches and everything else. I think it kind of worked, but it was inefficient. 
I'm still not to the answer, to quote-unquote answer, to why we have the chalice magmas, but I'm getting close because we're realizing the accretion of Celestia is, has a major, um, is a major player in this story. And what I've tried, oh, let me just finish my thought there. So we bring in Celestia, we clog the trench, we choke the subduction zone, and by 44 million years ago, there's a new trench with a new volcanic arc much further to the west. Those are the Cascades. Let me, let me try that one more time. I think that's going to work. So before 52 million years ago, remember we had the Idaho arc? Well, we had stratovolcanoes in present-day Idaho when the coast was at, I don't know, Walla Walla, something like that where the true west coast of the Pacific Northwest, let's say it's Walla Walla, and so the trench is just west of Walla Walla. Well, if we bring in Celestia between 51 and 49 million years ago, suddenly we're going to change the position of the beach. Suddenly it's wrong, though, isn't it? It's a, it's a slow-motion change. It's an 8-million-year change between subducting an ocean plate at Walla Walla or offshore of Walla Walla, and today subducting an ocean plate offshore of Westport, Washington. Hope you can follow that. So it's an interesting chapter because we are doing a major change. Speaking of major changes, you remember the major change I had last time for you, didn't I? Don't you? The Chumstick episode, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but we talked about before the Chumstick, it was a, do you remember this? Transpression basically squeezing of the crust with some strike-slip action because of oblique subduction. And then during the chumstick time, what did we have? Transpression. I made the same mistake I made last time. (laughs) Oh, man, what is it? Between 52 and 44, instead of transpression, we have transtension. You'll have to go back and listen to the last one, but it's basically pulling the crust apart while doing strike-slip motion, similar to the Salton Sea today. Thanks, Merle Beck, for that uh, tip after listening to this podcast yesterday. Okay. In the last five to ten minutes, now that we kind of have the the, the data uh, laid out at least briefly, and we also have kind of this changing compression to extension, back to compression when we get to the Cascades. Now that we have that figured out, it's a complicated story. No question about it. I doubt one 30-minute episode is going to feel satisfying to you, but, you know, we can try. Here we go. Tepper and others say, look, here's what we need. If we bring Celestia in and we choke the subduction zone, what's going to happen to that ocean plate that was subducting beneath Idaho? Right? And you go, well, I guess it's going to stop. I guess it's going to stop subducting because instead of more ocean plate coming in and heading towards Walla Walla and starting to subduct off the coast of Walla Walla, We don't have a spreading ridge out there anymore. We've got new land that has just been docked, like a big old ferry coming into the dock. Well, that's one way to say it. 
I guess we're just going to stop subduction of the ocean plate. But here's another thought. Instead of just stopping the subduction, what if the subduction of the ocean plate beneath Idaho continues to sink? And yet Celestia has docked. Instead of stopping a subducting plate, maybe we break break off a piece of that subducting plate. And if we have this suddenly, if we, if we suddenly have an ocean plate that's no longer actively diving beneath the Pacific Northwest because it's connected to a spreading ridge offshore, There's maybe some physics down there that backs up the need to break the plate. And if we break the plate, we're going to have a portion of the plate, therefore, sinking on its own. It just breaks off and starts to sink down into the upper mantle, and eventually it will go down into the lower mantle. And by the way, we have seismic tomography to show that. We now have data in the upper mantle to show these broken pieces of the former ocean plate. Notice I'm careful not to say Farallon or Kula because that's something I don't want to think I want to get into here. That whole, you know, migrating triple junction thing. That's a whole other part of this, but that's too much, I think, for us right now. Here's why breaking an ocean plate beneath Idaho matters. Tepper says, if you break an ocean plate, suddenly you have mantle, which was underneath the subducting ocean plate. The mantle is going to start flowing upwards. The mantle is going to get shallower levels than it should be, quote unquote. And it's going to trigger some magmas within the continental crust that are hot, dry, and regionally spread out. We're here, if you haven't figured it out. We're here. We're here to the main visual for why these chalice magmas are a thing. Here it is again. Why do you have these scattered blobs of chalice magma from the Dakotas all the way out to the Pacific Ocean, from British Columbia down to Southern Oregon? Why aren't they in a nice, simple line? Because we broke the subducting plate underneath, and all this hot mantle is boiling up to the surface. It's like a magma storm, regionally with no rhyme or reason to the location. But there's a unifying story. They're all magmas between 52 and 44. And here's the last part. By inventorying, is that a word? By going through these rocks, carefully locating them, carefully measuring their ages, 
carefully measuring their geochemistry, Jeff Tepper and others have found that chalice magmas in eastern Washington, young in the direction... hmm, Tepper has found chalice magmas in eastern Washington are 52 million year old rocks in the extreme northeastern corner of Washington. Oh, gosh. Let me try again. I can do this easier. There's an age pattern to the chalice magmas in eastern Washington. The chalice magmas are 52 million years old in the upper right-hand corner of the state, the northeast corner up by Medellin Falls. And as you go northeast to southwest, you go 52 to 44. There's an age progression. There's not, so in other words, the chalice magmas regionally are just kind of this scattered collection of blobs. But then if you really look carefully, as Tepper has, you can see this 52 to 44 million year old age progression that's pretty well behaved, sweeping from upper right to lower left, 52 to 44, northeast to southwest. And Jeff says, not only are we going to break the plate, we're going to have a portion of that ocean plate roll back. I'm doing it with my hand now in front of my face. I'm holding my left hand horizontally in front of my eyes. And then I'm just allowing my finger, I'm holding my wrist steady, but I'm holding my, I'm allowing my fingers on my left hand to just kind of droop. I'm the ocean plate beneath the Pacific Northwest. Starting 52 million years ago, I'm going to break that plate off from the thing further to the east, and then my fingers are drooping. That's the rollback of this ocean plate. And as you droop your fingers or let your fingers just kind of go limp in front of you, there's hot mantles surging up around your fingertips and directly heating the lower portions of the crust and therefore generating these high boron dry magmas. Hot, dry magmas. Chalice magmas. Just as a little finishing uh, message, there is a second break of this ocean plate at 49 million years ago. Roughly. And the Tianaway bimodal volcanic rocks are telling that story. Now, this is a work in progress. I'm supposed to meet with Jeff and one of his students uh, looking at the Silver Pass Volcanics on Wednesday. We'll see how brave they are. Maybe 110 or something. But uh, if they're going to go, I'm going to go. And I'll film it and add it to the channel. I've been having some fun with the YouTube channel lately since 351 has been done. If you're interested, the the Brian Atwater Steamboat Rock episode is there. Uh, There's a separate YouTube uh, video. Sky Cooley uh, seems to be a popular video uh, talking about clastic dikes down near Walla Walla. Um, And I've been out with Randy Lewis, Native American, Piscosa tribe, uh, in Moses Cooley. And I did so much filming with him on one day, I've broken it into four parts. So uh, look for that coming in the next, uh, I don't know, week or so. Randy's carefully viewing these things and making sure that I cut out certain things that are not appropriate for a general audience. But 
anyway, um, I'm staying out of the heat, but I'm also uh, trying to be as productive as possible. Also kind of overhauling the website a little bit uh, to reflect the stuff that we've been doing together uh, in the last year or so. Well, I appreciate you sticking around to the end of this one. I hope that you're staying cool if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Hope you're staying warm if you're in the Southern Hemisphere. Hope you're staying whatever if the Western Hemisphere. And I can't, I can't uh, forget about the folks in the Eastern Hemisphere. What am I talking about? All right, not a whole lot of asides today, I guess. Tried to condense four Chalice Magma lectures into one episode. I don't know. I guess it worked. Hope it does for you. Uh, that does bring us to the close of this uh, Geology 351 Memories series of, of radio episodes. I guess I'll just call them radio episodes from this point on. I keep saying audio. It sounds kind of weird. Yeah, these are, these are essentially radio episodes. And if I see somebody in the street, uh, you know, first of all, they'll go, hey, you know, summer vacation, huh? You must be happy now. You're a teacher. You don't work at all. Yeah, oh, thank you. It's good to see you too. And it's like, oh, yeah, I haven't seen any video. I haven't seen you on the TV lately. Are you stopped uh, like doing all that stuff? And I go, well, no. And then they say, oh, yeah, I watched one of your podcasts. And immediately I'm confused. <laughs> so, did they listen to the podcast or did they watch a live stream? And so, that's a common thing that people that are a little bit older, you know. Yeah, I was watching one of those podcasts you did. So I try not to say much. I just let them kind of say what they want to say. And, um, oh boy, where was I going with that? Oh my God. Well, I, I, I guess um, people are... Boy, I really don't know where I was going with that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, anyway, I'm... I'm I'm trying to uh, organize things on this end so that people can find these programs if they have an interest. If they don't have an interest, obviously, no big whoop. But if they do want to find stuff that we've been doing, they should find it. And it shouldn't be a, a super big uh, uh, hunt. And that's the whole purpose of the website, is to get everything that I've done in one place and make it uh, accessible to everyone. And, and I don't think that's the case lately because... Uh, of other things that have been uh, happening. Haven't had time for that. But hey, man, if it's 115 degrees or whatever, I can't think of a better thing to do than hang out in the basement, drink a bunch of ice water, pet the cat, and uh, update a website. Can you? Right. Thank you. I love you. And goodbye. <laughs>